chapter 12. If you're using a pew Bible, that's on page 1032. Luke chapter 12. What a feast, huh? I'm already stuffed. Hope you got room for a little more because I'm going to cram it down your throats. <laughs> Just kidding. Luke chapter 12, page 1032. And uh, today we're studying verses 35 through 40. So let me just read that passage in Luke chapter 12, and then uh, we'll get going here with the sermon. Luke chapter 12, verse 35 says, Be dressed ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the second or third watch of the night. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect Him. Uh, It was the great reformer Martin Luther who said that he only had two dates on his calendar. He had today and he had that day. He had the moment right now, today, the uh, things right in front of us. And then he had that day, the day when Christ will return, like we read in the Apostles' Creed. From thence He will come to judge the living and the dead. Uh, That day when Christ will come as the judge, not as the humble baby, but as the conquering King. And when Christ comes on that day, we will be accountable for how we have lived all of our todays. And so, the way we view that day in its reality should radically impact the way we live today. And that's the point of this little story the whole thing is about is a reflection on the coming of Christ and the way that should change how we live here and now. Um, in fact, if you just want to do a quick review with me of Luke chapter 12, just a, a quick flyover, uh, this has been a whole sermon. Chapter 12 is just basically a sermon from Jesus. And it's a sermon about discipleship. What does it mean to follow Jesus today? And if you go back to chapter 12, remember in verses 1 to 3, Jesus warned His disciples against hypocrisy. Don't talk like you're some religious Christian, but fail to back it up with your life. Make sure that you're consistent. And then in verses 4 to 12, he warned them against uh, fearfulness in the face of persecution. There will be people who will reject you and ostracize you because of your faith, but don't be afraid. Courageously confess Christ. God's going to give you the words to say. And then the last two Sundays, we've been looking at Jesus' extended teaching on money. And so in verses 13 to 21, he warned us against greed. Our life is not about getting stuff and amassing stuff so that we can live comfortable, cushy lives and retire at the age 38 and just golf for the rest of our lives. That's not the goal of life. Uh, you're supposed to use, we're supposed to use our lives and our resources for the kingdom of God. And then last Sunday we looked at verses 22 to 34, which uh, commanded us not to worry about our money. Don't stress out about your finances. Seek God's kingdom first and trust Him to take care of what you need. So, a bunch of little teachings uh, on different topics, 
all about how as Christians we're supposed to live today. And then he sort of closes it in our text today, verses 35 to 40, by thinking about that day and saying, because Christ is coming back, how much more so should we live for Christ today? So we're going to connect these two ideas. So let's again look at the text, verse 35. He says, Be dressed and ready for service, and keep your lamps burning like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they will immediately open the door for him. So here we have a very simple analogy. It's easy to understand. Uh, you have these slaves. That's what they are. This text says servants, but in reality they're slaves. Uh, slavery, as you know, was what kept the Roman Empire going in those days. Uh, slaves were a very common part of the economy. So you have these slaves, and they have a master. And their master is away at a banquet, and they're waiting for the master to come back. He hasn't come back yet. They thought he was going to come back already. Still hasn't come back. They're waiting. They're waiting. Jesus says, stay ready. Um, now, in this analogy, who are the slaves? That's us, right? The followers of Christ. Which is kind of an interesting way to think about it. I mean, when's the last time you thought of yourself as a slave if you're a Christian? <laughs> Woo! I mean, a lot of the Christianity we hear preached today uh, tells us that you know God is kind of our slave, and uh, He's our Santa Claus, and He's our sugar daddy, and whatever we need uh, to make us happy, we just need to do it, and God can give us self-esteem, and God can give us a BMW, and whatever we want, we just ask God, and, and God kind of just is giving us presents. God is cosmic vending machine. Uh, and yes, God meets all our needs, no question. Uh, you heard about that in the testimonies. But He is still the Master. And we are still his servants and slaves, which is rather, um, you know, different from the way our self-absorbed culture portrays God and portrays Christ. Which, of course, raises the question, you know, why would anyone want to become a Christian? Become a Christian, you can be a slave, it's great. You know, like, what? Uh, but the fact is, of course, that we all serve something. Jesus said, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. You can be a slave to drinking. Even as you think you're free to party, you're actually enslaving yourself. We can become a slave to money and possessions. Uh, we can become a slave to bitterness and unforgiveness against people. Uh, I've, I've heard a great definition of unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is drinking the rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. That's unforgiveness. It's hurting myself, being angry and bitter and hoping so-and-so will die. Maybe they're already dead, but I'm still mad at them. I mean, how is that not slavery? We can be enslaved by all kinds of forces. Uh, we can be enslaved by wanting to please people. We can be enslaved uh, with power and with a sense of our own control of our lives. So we're all serving something. So you have this great irony, right? That if I want to do what I want and live how I want, no one tells me what to do, which sounds like freedom, we actually end up in slavery. But if I become a willing slave of Christ, I find that I'm free. And it it's like, what? How can that be? But that's how it works. And so here we are. We're the slaves of Christ. He is the master. And he is away. Uh, he is back in heaven. We're waiting for his return, just like these slaves are waiting for his return. So there's the story. And the basic application is what? Be ready. The master could come back at any time. And so our duty as the servants waiting for Christ's return is to stay ready, to not lose our focus, to keep alert, keep crisp, keep sharp, stay self-disciplined, focused on the coming of Christ. Uh, look back at verse 35. He says, Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. 
You know, uh, keep your work clothes on for Jesus. The world's offering you comfy silk pajamas. Look, just go to sleep. Don't pay attention. Stop fighting. Stop struggling. Stop trying to follow Jesus. I mean, everyone's making fun of you and everyone thinks you're crazy. And why do you get up so early to go to church anyway you could sleep in? I mean, you've had a hard week, really. You deserve some me time. Just put on these pajamas. These nice, soft, silk pajamas. And Jesus is saying, no, keep your work clothes on. Yeah, I know you've been in them all day and they're all sweaty and gross. Stay in your work clothes. Stay dressed and ready to serve Christ. And keep your lamps burning. Uh, Verse 36, like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. You know, I almost have the image of the master coming home and reaching for the door and the servants are there and they go, you know, welcome home, master. Oh, it's good to be home. And there they are. They're still dressed. They're ready to serve. What do you need, master? I know it's late. Do you need anything? We'll get it for you. Oh, it's good to be home. And, And they're ready. They haven't fallen asleep. They haven't dozed off. They're not sitting in a chair by the door doing nap jerks. They're, they're focused and ready for the Master to come back. Even if He comes back late, look at verse 38. It will be good for those servants whose Master finds them ready. Even if He comes in the second or third watch of the night. Uh, apparently, Roman time uh, was divided. Roman nights were divided into four watches. That's how they thought about the night. There was evening. There was midnight. It's the second watch. The third watch was called cock crow. It was when the rooster started crowing. It was like, you know, four in the morning or something. And then the last watch was morning when the sun finally rose. So Jesus is saying, look, the master might not be back when you think he's going to be back. Uh, it could be midnight. It could be three in the morning. Like, where is he? Maybe he's not coming home tonight. Maybe let's just turn in for the bed. No, 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 no. Stay focused. Stay ready. Even if it's late at night. Even if you're tired and you're exhausted from waiting for the Master, tired and exhausted from living a consistent Christian life in this culture that just you know, lulls you to sleep. Stay focused and ready because we don't know when He's coming back. And then in verse 39, Jesus changes the imagery a little bit. Look at verse 39. He says, But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at one hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. So same point, different parable. Now the imagery is of a a thief coming in the night and the owner being ready. It's like a soldier uh, standing on watch. He's up at night. He can't fall asleep because his buddies are in foxholes. They're sleeping. They're trusting him to guard them through the night. And so he's got to be up with his night vision goggles. He's got to stay alert. He's got to stay tuned in because he doesn't want the enemy to come and catch them unawares. So again, the point is, be ready. Don't fall asleep. Verse 40, Jesus brings it all together for us and makes the application. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. So there's the dilemma, right? The Son of Man's coming, Jesus' coming, is both certain and uncertain. That's why this is so tough. It's known, we know He's coming, but it's unknown, we have no idea when. And so that puts us in a tough spot because we have to stay constantly ready. We can't say, well, we know it's another, you know, uh, three centuries from now, so, well, who cares? We'll just do what we want. We have to be ready at all times. That's the place we're put in. This is our dilemma. Um, When I was thinking about being ready, constantly on the ready, and I was thinking of my own experiences, I thought of when uh, my wife was pregnant with our various children. And how you, you know, you know when women are like really, really, really pregnant? 
you know, like almost grotesquely pregnant. I mean, they're just, they're, they're, you know, they're all sweaty and they're always like, oh, and, you know, sit down there, oh, you know, no matter where they are, they're just uncomfortable all the time. And I think God does that so that women are ready for the trials of labor because they're like, I don't care what I have to go through. Just get it out of me. And, you know, that's how, that's how my wife was, you know, just so tired. And so you get ready. I mean, you don't know when the baby's coming. You don't know, but you're ready, right? And so you have the, the room ready. The whole house has been nested and cleaned and all these crazy hormonal cleaning things have already happened. And uh, you've called the in-laws. The in-laws know that if they get a call in the middle of the night, they have to get up there so they can watch the other kids while you rush off to the hospital. And mom has her a hospital bag packed with all the stuff she's going to need. And even as a dad, you're ready. I mean, you, you know, you're kind of sleep with one eye open. You're ready at any moment for that. I think it's time, you know, and you're calling during the day. How's everything? Is anything, you know, broken? I mean, what, what's going on? <laughs> and you're psyching yourself up for labor. I mean, I have to be honest. I, I mean, labor is probably one of the most traumatic things I've ever been through. It's, um, <laughs> I, I couldn't do it again. <laughs> It's, it's freakish. It's horrible. Uh, it's, it's a really terrifying experience. So um, I'm glad I don't have to get ready for that again. Uh, you know? So you've got to be ready. We have to be ready at all times. Constantly on you know, the go. Your whole life is reoriented around this baby coming. And so our whole lives as Christians have to be reoriented around the coming of Christ. We don't know when he's going to be coming. So it changes everything. I was thinking our situation is a lot like Noah. Noah was told about today. Noah, today, you've got to start building an ark. Remember Bill Cosby's thing? Noah, build the ark. Noah's like, what? But Noah was also told about that day, that the Lord was going to destroy the earth, that the judgment was coming. And so he starts building his ark. And I forget, I, I, I should have read the passage again, but you know, how long did it take? It took decades for him to build this boat. Could you imagine the people like, that's all crazy Noah. Building his boat. Hey, Noah, how's the boat going? Not fine. You know, here's Noah pouring his money into this boat. What a waste. What a money pit. I mean, you thought your boat took a lot of money. I mean, imagine this boat. <laughs> He's pouring money into this, this boat. You know, what's a boat? It's a hole in the water that you pour money into, right? And so he's just throwing his resources away. People are like, why are you wasting your money on that thing? His time, he's pouring his time into it. He could be out doing all the things that everyone else is doing, but instead he's focused, he's living this disciplined life, giving himself completely to this boat, and the world's like, you're crazy. But because of that day, he lived differently today, even if the whole world thought that he had lost it. Our situation is a lot like uh, the Israelites on the night of the Passover in Egypt. You remember that story? Uh, that night, the angel of death was going to pass over all of Egypt and take all the firstborn of Egypt. But the next day, the Israelites were going to be free and they're going to leave Egypt. And so they were living today in light of that day, which for them happened to be the very next day. And so that night, they were getting ready and they took the Passover lamb and they slaughtered it. And you remember what they did? They took the blood and they put it over the door frame of their house. Can you imagine the Egyptians walking by, going out for an evening stroll, like, what are those Hebrews doing? Smearing blood on their house. I, you know, I knew those people were weird, but I mean, this, this is really sick. I mean, smearing blood on a perfectly good house. You know, why would you do that? And then that night, the, uh, while the other Egyptians were out just having a good time, you know, watching Egyptian Idol or you know, whatever they, they did, <laughs> kicking back, enjoying their life, 
here's the Israelites. They're having this Passover feast. And maybe you've been to a Jewish Passover feast. It was different in the first one, even from the ones that are done today. The first one, if you go back and read the book of Exodus, remember what God told them? He said, eat it with your cloaks on, with your belts tied, with your sandals on, with your staff in your hand. In other words, you know, look like you're about to go on a hike. Dress up like you're ready to go backpacking. That's how you should dress. And then eat, what does it say, in haste. So eat like my seven-year-old son eats. You know, just eat this. So here's these guys all dressed up like they're going to go on a hike. This is really weird, right? And they're just stuffing the food in their mouth. And the world's like, what's wrong with you people? Just chill out. It's like, no. That day is coming. So we have to be ready. And so there's a sense of discipline in the Christian life. You know, the Christian life, it isn't easy. It is a disciplined life. You know, we gather together here every Sunday. That's a kind of self-discipline. We could be sleeping in. Um, you know, I had a late night last night. My, my uh, two-year-old was you know, coughing and it kept waking me up on the monitor so I had to keep going down and making sure he was okay. You know, I'm exhausted today. I would love to have slept in today till 10. <laughs> so why am I here? I mean, besides you know, the paycheck. But I mean, why am I here? <laughs> I, I'm here because I need you. I need to sing those songs. I need to hear these testimonies. Because all during the week, the world is just lulling me back to sleep. And I need the encouragement from the other people who are dressed and ready. That's why I'm here. And so we have certain disciplines in our life. That's why I read the Bible. That's why I pray. Is, is because I need to keep myself focused on eternal life. When I was praying this week and thinking about this passage, I, I was just confessing to the Lord. I was saying, Lord, you know, how often do I really think about eternal life? My life is, my thoughts are so consumed with right now. How rarely do I think about eternal matters in the coming judgment day? I mean, do, do I even hope on that? I mean, how rarely have your thoughts gone to that this week or this month? And yet, that's the day. And so I was like, Lord, help me. I want to be like uh, the 19th century Scottish preacher and hymn writer. His name was Horatius Bonar. And uh, Horatius, uh, supposedly, he would get up in the morning. And he would open up his curtains every morning and look out in the day and he would say, perhaps today, Lord. That was just a discipline. So that that day he was oriented to, what if this is the last day? I need to be ready. And how is that going to impact the way I spend my money, the way I relate to people, looking for opportunities to love people with the love of Christ during the day? Because this could be the day. And so there's a, a, a totally different life orientation we need to be ready. We need to live lives that are self-controlled. They may look different from the world's lives, but, you know, so be it. Because the world only has one day on its calendar. Today. We have two days on our calendar. Today and that day. And that makes all the difference. Yeah, if there's only today, right. Eat, drink, and be merry. I mean, who cares? Do whatever you want if we're just going to die and rot in the grave. But if there is a day of judgment and an accountability before God, that should completely redirect the trajectory of our existence and our behavior. <clears throat> it made me think of this text in First uh, Thessalonians chapter five. Would you just turn over there? It's on page 1171 in the Pew Bibles, 1171, First Thessalonians chapter five.
First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So why write about the day? No one knows the day. That's the point. While people are saying, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. Now, what does he mean by we're not in darkness? He doesn't mean that we know the day or we have figured it out. What he means is we're living as children of the light. Uh, we are those who've been baptized and our old life before Jesus, our B.C. life, has been buried. It's dead. The life of drunkenness and partying and accumulation of wealth and pride and self-righteousness and trusting in my own morality and all that, that's all dead. And I've been raised to a new life in Christ. I, the, the darkness is behind me. I'm living in the light. Verse 5, You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us alert, be alert and self-controlled. There's that sense of discipline. The things we do to follow Christ to be ready. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled. Putting on faith. Let's not lose heart. Some of you are going through some deep trials right now. Some of you are going through challenges that you know, you're sitting here in church and everything's fine, but inside it's not fine. You need to put on faith this morning and hold on to that faith that God has you in His hand and that He's working in your life. That's how you live as a children of the light, as a child of the light. Put on love as a breastplate. We need to be marked by our, our love for others. Hope of salvation is a helmet. Verse 9, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to stay alert. I like that image. That's helpful to me. Alertness. Because I feel the world singing a lullaby in my ear to lull me to sleep, to be comfortable, to blend in, to not take it so seriously, to let my zeal for Christ fade away and let my zeal for entertainment and my zeal for food and my zeal for, self, uh, for, for pleasure and for whatever, I feel that zeal being stirred up. And so I, I constantly have to, you know, wake up, wake up, stay focused on Christ. Because the world is like, you know, the Wizard of Oz, remember that scene where they're going through the poppy fields heading to the Emerald City? And they're like... You know, the poppy fields are magical. They put you to sleep. And I feel like we're running through poppy fields as we're going to heaven. And they're constantly trying to put us to sleep. And we have to shake our heads and shake each other and stay alert and stay awake. My father-in-law was in the Navy. And he tells this really cool story. He was an officer on a big oil tanker, like 600 foot long ship. And uh, they were sailing along one night. And there was another freighter, just a commercial freighter that was out in the open ocean. And, and it was, my father-in-law's ship was going this way, and they were going this way. I guess starboard port, I don't know. But they were going like this. And, um, and as they watched this other freighter over time, they noticed that the bearing was constant, but the distance was decreasing. And so it was clear as they measured where the ship was over time that they were on a collision course. Now, under the maritime rules, uh, the other ship, the freighter, had the obligation to give way to the tanker. Um, and so that, that's how it was supposed to go. He was supposed to go like this, but he didn't. He just kept coming and coming, and they got closer and closer 
getting closer. And they're sounding the warning thing. You know, there's a 600-foot ship about to center punch you. You know, wake up. And they're trying to raise them on the radio. What had happened was the guys in the freighter had fallen asleep. They, uh, apparently there's something, my, my father-in-law calls it the iron mic. It's like a cruise control for a big ship. You just put on iron mic. You know, you're out in the middle of the ocean. Like, what are the chances you would actually be on a collision course in the whole ocean with anybody? So they would just put it on this cruise control, and then they go down below and fall asleep, and nobody was watching. The ship was just on autopilot, heading. And so they're honking their horn or whatever they have, and they're trying to wake the other ship up. And finally, they just had to take evasive action, you know, full back, right full rudder, and they started turning the ship, huge 650-foot ship or whatever. It's turning, and I guess it just came right next to them. He said it was so close, you could have thrown a line from one ship to the other. Huge ships out in the middle of the ocean. And then, apparently, the guy on the other ship finally like, you know, came up in the bridge and was like, <gasps> you know, he woke up or, or whatever he heard, sensed the danger he was in. Christ is coming back, and He's on a collision course with earth. And we're asleep. And so he's trying to wake us up. Wake up and turn to Christ now before it's too late. Except Christ is not going to turn aside. He's not going to take evasive action. The judgment day is coming. And so we need to be alert and awake. We need to be ready as Christians. When the Lord... uh, if, If God were to look at your life and do an audit... If others were to look at your life, does it appear that we are people who are ready? Do we live differently? Is it obvious that we have a different orientation than the world? Are you ready for the coming of Christ? Am I ready? Or am I immersed in sin, immersed in self, immersed in leisure, immersed in wealth? Or am I using my life to serve Christ? And most importantly, do you have Christ as your Savior? That's the most important thing you need to be ready. This is not a lecture about be a more moral person because we can never be moral enough. The most important thing is that we need Jesus as our Savior. We need to have that blood spread over the doorposts of our house, of our hearts. We need Christ's blood marking us as a child of God. Because if we just go based on our own track record, I mean, we're going to fail. Even as a Christian, you know, I'm more like the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Stay awake and pray. Sure, Jesus, we'll stay awake. And I'm off. Jesus comes back. Stay awake and pray. This is the night. I'm going to the cross. Yeah, Jesus, we'll pray. Right? That's us. Even in my best moments as a Christian, I fall so far short. I think of eternal life so rarely. And so I can't come to God on my own merits. There's none of us here who can come to God and say, well, you know, here's my resume. Uh, here's the things I've done. And here's the, you know, I, I uh, you know, fed in a soup kitchen one Thanksgiving and I did this and that. And therefore, I'm a good person. No, we, we all fall short of the glory of God. And so we need Christ's salvation. We need His blood. You see, Jesus is the faithful servant. Jesus took off His glory, it says in Philippians chapter 2. He, though He was in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but He made Himself nothing, taking what? The very nature of a servant. And on earth, Jesus served. He told the disciples, the Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve. And give His life as a ransom for many. And there at the uh, Last Supper, do you remember what Jesus did? He took off His robes and He put on a towel like a servant and He washed the disciples' feet. And then in the Garden of Gethsemane, when everyone else was conking out and taking a power nap, He was praying faithfully. 
He stayed the course. He was awake the whole time. And then when all the disciples fled when Jesus was arrested, He stayed up all night. He was awake. And though they were slapping Him and trying to frame Him and trip Him with trick questions, He stayed the course and He kept a faithful witness. He didn't give up. And His faithfulness to God went all the way to the cross where there on the cross He died so that people who are unfaithful like me could receive His forgiveness. And my unfaithfulness, in a sense, is transferred to Him. So I become righteous and He becomes the sinner. And now I'm forgiven in Christ, like that song we just sang. And so, above all else, you need Christ in your life. And so let me just challenge you with that. You, know, you guys have been really patient this morning. But do you have Christ? Is His blood over the doorframe of your heart? Are you ready? Have you put your faith in Christ? Because it doesn't matter what else we have. If we don't have Christ, we don't have anything. But if we have Jesus, we have everything. So come to Christ. Um, maybe you need to do like Joe was talking about. Just take some time to ponder. And take some time out. Turn off the radio. Turn off the TV. Think about these things. Because the day of the Lord is coming. And we need to be ready. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your salvation, Jesus. Thank You that You are the faithful servant. You are the one who stayed alert and did the will of the Father. And I thank You, Jesus, that even though we are unfaithful, even though our track record is abysmal, that You, Jesus, came to die for us so that we can be saved. And I pray here, uh, Lord, that today we would put our faith in You, that we would not put it in our own um, man-made religion, that our hope of eternal life would not be placed in our own uh, man-made definitions of morality, but that all of our hope would be in You, Jesus Christ, that You would be our Savior, that we would cling to You, and Lord, I pray for those of us who do know You, that You would help us to stay awake. Lord, keep coming over and waking us out of our sleep. Lord, help us to stay disciplined. Help us not to slip back into old habits and old patterns we gave up a long time ago. But help us to stay faithful to You, Christ. Lord, this is hard. We're too weak. We fall apart too easily. So Lord, we pray for the Holy Spirit this morning to be at work in our lives and to keep us alert and focused. Jesus, I pray that when You come, You will find a faithful church here that you would find faithful servants here at South Shore Baptist Church. So God, help us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, just stand and, you know, uh, let's just close by singing the doxology. You all know the doxology? Would you stand? And a reminder, after the service, uh, come on downstairs for some coffee. Uh, sign up for the Labor Day picnic if you haven't already. And there's also a table downstairs about our Disciple Training Institute. We'd love for everyone to take part in that sometime this year. So go downstairs, hear about all that stuff. Sign up for a Labor Day picnic. It's great. Uh, let's sing together. Pray. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.